Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I am back for another episode. And you are in for a very real and interesting treat today as I have Axel Kerstetter, with me. He is the Vice President, Product Marketing, Content Marketing, and Pricing at Merrill Corp. So Axel, first of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here with you. So Axel, innovation can come in many forms. It can come in the form of a new product. It can come in the form of a new piece of technology. It can come in the form of a new service offering. But what I wanted to visit with you today is about innovation in what I think, or I would call a process, and that process is the M&A process. I was really gratified when I saw the white paper put out by Merrill entitled Seven Critical M&A Transaction Mistakes, because it really emphasized to me the process of M&A and how you help clients and customers think through that. So, It's a rather long-winded way of introducing the question, which I wanted to start with, which is how do you and Merrill help companies in the M&A process? Yeah, thank you. So what we do is, firstly, we have a M&A transaction data room. So clients will put information, content, data into our virtual data room in our application for due diligence. And they invite potential bidders to participate in that due diligence cycle by permissioning them to relevant documents at various stages. And so we help bidders and buyers and sellers essentially to get together, exchange information, and understand whether there's any risk profile in the type of assets they want to buy or sell via a technology that's compliant, that is secure, and there's a whole bunch of other modern things around it. So if I could go to a really interesting phrase that Merrill used in the white paper, it was synergy savings. And I was wondering if you might be able to explain to the audience what is synergy savings and what is its importance in the M&A process? Sure. So the notion of synergies always comes up whenever you talk about an acquisition, a merger. In the sense that you have to justify how you're going to be funding, how you're going to be covering the investment you're making into a new asset that you're trying to integrate. And so in this case, it is particularly used by companies. So there are obviously multiple participants in the M&A lifecycle. There are advisors, lawyers, investment bankers who would advise on whether to do a transaction or not. And then there's the companies that need to do the actual execution of the transaction. And then particularly on the execution side, it is all about why strategically are you doing this engagement? And quite often what comes up is the keyword of synergy savings. In other words, you're trying to achieve synergies by combining two entities, two units. And there is a positive element to it for companies and that it's a popular way to fund an acquisition. And that essentially where there's an overlap between capabilities, production resources, and so forth, you're able to take those out by having two units that combine. You only really need one capability, one production unit in order for to achieve that. And so there's some research out there that suggests for any acquisition to be successful, you have to achieve between four to six percent of synergy savings. So imagine a billion dollar acquisition that equates to about 50 million of savings that have to be achieved organically. This can be through job overlap, 
where there is two people doing essentially the same type of function, one is going to be redundant. It can be by unifying plants or equipment rationalization. There are many ways that you can achieve those synergies. I'll give you an example. From our own world, we recently divested some of our businesses. So we were just in the news for selling off some of our capabilities to Pan Vintage. And we had a plant as part of that plant that essentially allowed us to print a lot of paper, a lot of documentation. And we sold that off as part of the divestiture. And if we had sold that to other players in the market who already had a major plant in place, that would have essentially resulted in an overlap of capabilities. And they probably would have had to make a choice of which one they shut down. And the reasons are, you know, one is more modern, one is more capable and so forth. So a way to finance an acquisition or integration is by achieving cost synergies. So one of the things that, or I should probably say that some or large majority of my listeners are lawyers, they are compliance professionals in the compliance space, and they may be involved in M&A from time to time, but that's not their primary focus within the organization. And what you have just laid out are really specific concerns that actually address compliance issues. So I was really gratified by the process approach you have. And there was one other thing that really struck me. And if I can just read this quote, because I found it so powerful. And it is, uh, once again, comes from your white paper, Time management is an essential part of successful M&A transaction. Unless all areas of synergy saving can be realized within a reasonable time after the start of the discovery process, the prospect of deal fatigue increases, which dramatically diminishes the chances for success. And I guess kind of turning that around into compliance speak, Axel, what I heard and saw from that statement was that you have to be not only utilize the synergy savings, but you have to continue to move forward in a reasonable time frame so that you can achieve those savings and increase the chance of success in the overall merger and acquisition project. Would that be a fair summary? Yeah, I mean, look, there are compliance changes that are known about that you can prepare for. So I'm thinking here particularly of things like GDPR, which was known three, four years in advance. Obviously, there's always the time crunch at the very last minute to make sure, are you going to be compliant or not? And therefore, do you do a transaction or do you pull out? But then there's also the more politically driven compliance changes. And as a matter of fact, we just had a well-attended webinar this morning for the industrial sector in particular, where one of the issues was with some of the changes in the administration, there's been more and more emphasis on the sensitivities around sort of military industrial information and what is being looked at from a antitrust perspective and from competitive perspective. And so that politically driven compliance risk has suddenly become much more prevalent. And so you do need to take into consideration when you are doing transactions at the exact time when you're choosing to announce something or to conclude something, not just on the basis of the sort of known compliance changes, regulatory changes, but also those unknown changes that happen due to political circumstances. So now if I could turn to what I thought was the, if not the meat of the paper, uh, certainly a very important section. It's entitled Understanding the Mistakes That Can Derail Successful M&A Transactions. And you laid out seven. And I was wondering if you could just go through them and give us a few thoughts on each one from your perspective. Sure. So first, let me put a little bit of context around why seven, how do we get to seven? When you do some Googling, you come up with a whole bunch of different numbers from 22, from five, from four. It always depends a bit on the 
perspective and the angle that you are taking. And here in this case, we took the approach of really looking at this from a strategic perspective. What are some of the challenges that you're coming across? We didn't go into the tactical issues of did you appoint the right lawyer? Did you work with the right investment advisor? But so, cutting long story short, the seven issues that we have been seeing, and this is the result, not so much of you know heavy research that we've done, but really some by just listening to certain our clients are telling us. And so one of the ones is what we'd like to call overindulgent optimism. Fairly straightforward. Sometimes because you are keen on doing a deal, you ignore the risks, you ignore the the facts and figures in front of you, and you just assume moving forward on the basis of hopeful, optimistic, a positive momentum is going to result in a good outcome. That's not always the case. And so there are many red flags that you know do come up. And you know, uh, if the competitive bidding scenario, for example, occurs, in other words, there's more than one bidder in play, and you go over the amount that you're willing to to be comfortable with, and you're sort of optimistic that yeah, no matter what, the uh, deal is going to be successful. Well, maybe you should reconsider your position. So that's kind of what we mean by overindulgent optimism. The next one will be structural engineering flaws or structural engineering. And this really comes down to how you finance a particular deal. A classical scenario would be you don't buy something through cash, but through some kind of a leverage mechanism. And, you know, during the course of time between making an offer, concluding offer, exchange rates can change, interest rates can change. Your basically the structural basis on which you would have made a deal can very quickly evaporate. And suddenly you find yourself in a position of not really being sure whether you can execute or conclude the deal. And it can have major impact in that company that's over leveraged is going to have to sell off some assets in order to make some money. And suddenly the basis on which an acquisition was being done evaporates quite quickly. Critical, especially at the human level, is the organizational integration. And so not to be underestimated, but essentially companies, departments, managers, individuals have to work together, especially in the case of a merger, when it's a merger of equals, you do always have the case of who's going to be the CEO of the new entity going forward. There's always going to be one that's going to be losing, the other one's going to be winning. Typically, the arrangement is one is the CEO, next one is the chairman. But either way, ineffective organizational integration is something to bear in mind. You have issues around layoffs that will be coming out. You have the right processes for identifying you know, underperforming, overperforming, or new sort of intellectual capital that's required, et cetera, et cetera. And along the way, you do have the challenge of, you know, um, are people going to be motivated to stick around as soon as an acquisition is announced? Headhunters go calling. And so a bit of sensitivity around making sure that the organizational integration happens quite smoothly. The fourth area would be around time allocation. And so time allocation is a pre-closure as well as post-closure. In this case, we're thinking this in particular around pre-closure. Sure, you can go through due diligence, you can make an offer, but there's still tons of work that needs doing around making sure that a deal crosses the T's, dots, the I's, working with a regulator, that deal fatigue doesn't set in. Some of these closure processes can take years to conclude, especially when you're looking at sort of uh, monopolistic scenarios where a company might end up owning a large share of the market. And you've know, got to be very careful that the people who manage those deals don't get fatigued or don't expect to be done within a very short time frame and that you keep the momentum going. The fifth one is really all around the execution of the business plan. 
And so, again, we looked at this more from a strategic perspective, long-term perspective, not so much tactical day-to-day. And so the time horizon really here needs to be more than just two years. In order to achieve a successful transformational exit, you are looking at a you know strategic business plan. Most companies of a certain size would plan between two to five years. As part of that, you have obviously some kind of acquisition, some kind of M&A that occurs as well. It's about seeing the plan through, sticking to the core capabilities that you're trying to achieve in order to make sure that you, you know, not just get the tactical result of having done a deal, but you actually achieve that deal against a particular business plan where from the outset, you know, where you're looking to invest, where you're looking to divest, what the key performance indicators are and so forth. The next one would be proper data preparation. So this is a little bit of an interest one. It comes from what we as a vendor, as a technology vendor are seeing that nowadays you can be very strategic in choosing which information you disclose to whom without really running into any compliance issues. Quite simply, early on in understanding whether the party is interested in bidding for your asset, you do need to make sure that they have access only to limited amounts of information. If you give them access to everything before they've had a chance to really find out a bit more the background to the company, they might not see the sort of valuation metrics, the sort of KPIs that they'd be looking for and would be likely to or could potentially move out. It also has a positive element that you do want to filter out non-interested parties quite early on so that you can focus on the most interested buyers and have healthy, strong, engaging discussions and you don't find yourself in a last-minute fire sale type of uh, situation. And quick advertisement here for our own products, we obviously do allow a lot of that choosing whom you allow access to what information at what point in time. You can also change it over time and so forth. But really proper preparation of data, of information and disclosing the information is a critical element to make sure that you get it right in the deal staging. Finally, secure business tools. So again, a bit more our core area that we're covering off. But it is important that a deal happens with discretion, not covered through the media. As soon as they're looking at a leakage, deal valuations, or rather the likelihood of a deal closing ends up dropping by a factor of five. And so making sure that you know information is secured, leakage is absolutely minimized to non-existent. You have tools for that, such as ours. You have processes. Make sure that every participant signs an NDA and there's a proper follow-up. But that would be a seventh reason why a deal not so much would fail, but wouldn't happen in the first place. So, Axel, one of the things that is going to be innovative to many compliance practitioners is the use of controlled access during the M&A process. So I was wondering if you could give us some of your thoughts on why this is so critical and it balances the needs of both buyers and sellers during the M&A process. Yeah, it can probably be divided up in sort of three categories overall. Information security, fairly straightforward. You got to make sure that information is secured. And there are tools that allows you to do that. You can use watermarking to, you know, put a little imprint on a document in viewing capabilities. So Excel, for example, you know, you can't always put a watermark in front of it. Otherwise, it scrambles all the information that's behind it. So you can provide a way for people to securely view that information. So whole bucket of information around information security, speed of the deal. And so this really is quite interesting. And again, it comes back to the point I made previously that you really have to actively manage the speed at which a deal is going at by choosing who gets to have access to what at what point really allows the deal manager to be in charge of the 
overall speed and pace of a deal. And then post-deal success. So you have things around you know, net present value measurement and core operational research that would allow you to sort of make sure that a, a more controlled transaction is going to be happening. So specifically here, you'd be looking at auditing capabilities. Post-deal, you sometimes end up having the situation where you have to work with compliance departments, regulation departments, and you have to make sure that they can go into systems to very quickly audit who had access to what, in particular in public companies, broker-dealer situations, where you know you do, don't want to have your name being published in the media to say leakage occurred so that or someone traded on the back of relevant information. And so having good auditing capabilities in place are critical, robust document security. I already covered some of that off. Tiering of document access. As I said, not everyone should have access to all information at the same time that needs to be proactively managed. At the more softer level, it is about tailoring the presentations for maximum impact to make sure that a presentation is not just generic and aimed at anyone, but really specifically to the intended target and to the intended buyer. There's obviously, you know, a memorandum of understandings that are being sent out and other document information set, but the more targeted those can be to the intended buyer, the more personalized that can be, the more intelligent you can be with specific words that you would lay in and uh, make sure that those don't end up getting leaked. And as I said, corporate research around making sure who is the right sort of target, the right approach for something, shortens negotiations and transaction timelines as well. Well, Axel, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on any of the topics you've talked about or Merrill and what it can do to help facilitate an M&A project, where could they go? Yeah, so there is a book that's been published by Alexandra Reed called The Art of Integration that covers off these topics in great detail. Fantastic book to read. Second reference would be go to our website, look for the seven critical mistakes in M&A transactions. If you type in Google, just seven M&A transaction mistakes, it comes up at the very top. So it's an easy way to uh, get to it as well. I'd also say FINRA and some of the other regulatory bodies have interesting information, sometimes information digests that can be used for making sure that one is compliant and on top of some of the information. So I've been visiting today with Axel Kerstetter. He is the Vice President, Product Marketing, Content Marketing, and Pricing at Merrill Corp. And it's been really a fascinating discussion around innovation in the M&A process. And I hope that the compliance practitioners who may have listened to this can incorporate many of these strategies directly into the M&A projects they engage in. So Axel, with that, thank you very much. And frankly, I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Tom, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your listeners and have a fantastic rest of the day. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.